Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 80 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki-yay our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today in order to finish off this week is Brian Lockhart of Hamilton Shot by Shot. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me back, Rob, and uh, I'm here to frickin'-see talk. Frickin'-see talk or sprickin'-see talk? Who knows? I can't pronounce anything right on my own show. If you ever listen, uh, my daughter is constantly correcting me on how I pronounce words and names. So uh, you tell me. Well, I've been I've been making I make million dollars just from breakfast. So <laughs> we're back. We were back here doing coke right before we got exactly before we got on the podcast. Yeah, don't don't go into the green room. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> All right. No, I was saying that to you. Um, <laughs> so minute 80 begins with uh, John finishing his response to Al and ends with Ellis starting to make an offer that he hopes Hans will will not be able to refuse. <laughs> so yesterday we, we ended the minute mid, not even mid-sentence, mid-word, where uh, Al asked John, how's he feeling? And John said, pretty f- un- and it got cut off. So today we get the rest of that. He goes, unappreciated, Al. And he goes, hey, look, I love you. So did a lot of the other guys. So you hang in there, man. You hear me? You hang in there. Yeah, thanks, partner. Now, I, I mean, I love this this uh, back and forth between the two of them. You know, it, it, it develops these characters so well. You know, we, we, we can easily see how they're slowly becoming uh, friends, even though they've they've never met each other. You know. Kind of like I mean, podcasting, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're we're, yeah. we're we're hundreds of miles or thousands of miles away from each other, and uh, you know, you can still become friendly with people yeah. by you know by going through a traumatic experience together, like podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't have called it a traumatic experience. <laughs> editing, it. but we don't edit together. Yeah. No, no, I'm just kidding. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I like to edit. I like to edit. I just don't have the time to do it. That's the that's right. my problem. So yeah, no, but I like the way that they're, they're, the movie is is taking the time to develop these characters this way, that they can have this type of conversation. You know, and I think I think that that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, and basically the 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 you know they're they're little moments, but they're 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 somewhat pro- profound. You know, because Al doesn't know him, but he's still you know cheer, trying to cheer him up. And saying, hang in there, you know, we're, we're, we, we all love you. And so do a lot of the other guys, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to hear people, people like to get compliments from, from other people, even if they're people they don't, they don't really know. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that helps, you know, with the way that that works. And then the, the, the scene completely changes, right? And we're, we're back to the hostages, which we haven't really been with the hostages in a, quite a few weeks. It's been a while. I think one of the last times where we really got something from the hostages was when, you know, Holly went and, and made her requests from, from Hans. And that was only Holly. That wasn't even any of the rest of the, the hostages around. You know, and at this point, we, we get a shot of both Holly and Ellis sitting on what appears to be rocks or benches or something like that. Doesn't look very comfortable for them either. You know, and we see Ellis, uh, you know, doing what he does best. Snorting a little bit of coke. 
you know, you, you see, we see him snorting on one side and then we see him snorting on the other side. You know, he, he's really giving us uh, a full show of, of what it is that he does. Yeah, he's not even trying to hide it. Yeah, he's not hiding it from anybody. You know, um, I, I'm assuming then everyone in the office already knows that he's he's a, uh, you know, he's a cokehead. So they're, yeah, they're I, not they're not that concerned from that perspective, I guess. Agree, because uh, Tagagi didn't seem to be surprised when he caught him earlier in the movie when he's like, Mr. McLean is a police officer, <laughs> you know, and uh, he's cleaning up, you know, Ellis is cleaning up. So, yeah, I, I, that, I'm sure they're well aware of his antics. But apparently he's very good at doing what he does. Yeah, sales. Yeah, he's yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the the Hollywood actors who can get away with a lot because they're good actors and they make a lot of money and they don't care if they have a drug problem. It's only when they start getting too crazy or no longer box office worthy that they, that's when all of a sudden they start to care. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. So, and he at this point stands up, and I mean, we we get a shot of Holly who looks at him and she looks a little bit concerned. You know, she isn't really sure what, what, what he's up to, but it's still, it, it plays out well that, uh, you know, she, she looks like the, uh, 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 the, the, the house mother, I guess you can say, you know, she knows that she's the one in charge now, even though Ellis might, might ha be higher ranked in the company, but you know he's he's not taking any responsibility for things, and she's doing it all herself. So, so you can't trust him. Yeah, he, right. he's not. He, yeah, right. So he like stands up and clears his throat, and she looks at him and goes, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm tired of sitting here waiting to see who gets us killed first, them or your husband." Now, how does how does everyone know that it's it's John who's causing these problems? Oh, I I mean. I think he just is assuming uh, that he's no, a police officer. No, this is not an assumption. This is not an assumption. He's, well, he knows. He's, but... he's stating a fact. Well, you're right. I think he just knows because he's not there with them. He knows he's a police officer and somebody's disrupting things. Like, who else would it be? It's probably – it's not like they have security. It's not like any of these, uh, you know, traitors or wh whatever you want to call, you know, whatever business they, you know, that Nakatomi does – it's not one of them. So, I mean, it's, it's easy to, to know it's him, you know, that right. is, that is McClane. Right. Okay. I mean, I can, I can, I can, I can understand that. I mean, the the question is, is, I mean, there's a point later on where, where Ginny says to Holly, that man looks really pissed. And then she goes, he's still alive. Only John <laughs> can make someone that angry, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, you know, it makes it that that I, I guess it makes it less plausible that there isn't going to be somebody who's going to give over this information. You know, like, I mean, next week we'll talk more about the, the whole thing between, you know, between uh, between Ellis and Hans, their conversation and stuff like that. But, you know, if you have, let's say, 30 hostages here and they all know that it's John who's causing the problems. You'd think that Ellis is the only one who, who it's crossed his mind that, you know, if I throw John under the under the bus, we can maybe get out of here. I think only about four people even know, though, it's like Ellis, it's it's, you know, it's Holly, it's the pregnant lady and, and it was Tagagi. Yeah. And, and Tagagi's not talking anymore. Right. Exactly. So he, I, he, I don't he lost his head a while ago. 
Yeah, maybe maybe the guy that kissed him, you know, might know that <laughs> right. who McLean is. But other yeah, other than that, like nobody, he didn't really meet anybody, so they they wouldn't know. Right. Okay, there there is something to that, you know, and at this point, uh, Holly says to him, "So what are you gonna do?" He goes, "Hey, babe, I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this euro trash." And he goes, "Hey, sprechen Sie talk." <laughs> now, first of all, uh, Hart Bachner, I, I haven't seen him in very many movies, but he's he's amazing in this role. He's hilarious. He's not meant to be hilarious, but the way that he plays this character is just so funny because it's it's, it's completely over the top, you know. But he's playing the the '80s drugged out yuppie. Oh yeah, and he's, he's doing it. And he's doing a great job of it, completely. You know, and during his speech, <laughs> you see that all of the extras are like completely frozen. Nobody's paying any attention. They've all been given uh, instructions: don't look, don't move, don't don't turn your head or anything. So they're all, you know, just looking forward, looking straight forward, not moving. And there's just this uh, one white-haired lady. Who's uh, who, who seems to be rolling her eyes in the middle of 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 everything that that uh, that Ellis is saying, which I find hilarious. You know, it's as if she's like she she's sitting next to uh, Holly on this this huge rock, right? You can see her really well in second thirty six. All right, and. <laughs> When when uh, Ellis stands up and goes sprechenzi dog, so she like turns her head and it looks like she's she's like rolling her eyes. So in in my warped mind, you know, I I think that she must be like Ellis's secretary or you know one of the other secretaries, and she just can't believe that Ellis is acting this way, and she's just completely just rolling her eyes. Oh my God, he's at it again. Just shoot this guy for for you know, I don't know. Yeah, I did. I did catch that actually. I did, and it's just pretty funny, you know, <laughs> the way that it's, you know, it's like an extra that made a mistake or something like that. Who knows? I mean, first of all, Ellis, you gotta say he he is he is drugged up, but he's got a lot of balls for everything that he's doing here, right? You know, uh, I mean, first of all, by saying to one of the guys "Spreckenzy dog," that's not the best way to to try to convince a terrorist to take me to your leader. You know, you, it's very you think, condescending. Exactly. Yeah. You you think that if he is so adept at making million dollar deals deals for breakfast, that he would be able to uh, to know how to be a conversation starter and not well, he, not be condescending. He's a salesman though, and he's one of those douchey salesmen. So he's like, he's going in with that air of confidence and like, you know, I know what I'm doing. And hey, buddy, we're gonna make a deal. You know, like like the the kind of people that. So, you know, the kind of salesman people hate, you know, and, right. and and so he's going in with that arrogance to say, hey, I, I can deliver what you want. See, I, I'm so confident I can be kind of a, a jerk and and uh, and you'll you'll we'll we'll want to make a deal. So, yeah. But I mean, again, especially with a, a low uh, an underling, <laughs> you know, um, you would think that he would. You know, be a little bit more, you know, I, I don't know, not so so over the top like that. Yeah. 
It's definitely true. Now, have you ever heard the term Euro trash before? Yes. Okay. Do you know anything about it or not? No, no, just that it's derogatory. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Euro trash is a particular is a term for Europeans, particularly those perceived to be socialites, stylish, and affluent. Eurotrash is often used as a collective term for such European expatriates in the U.S. or other areas with a concentration of wealthy Europeans. Some consider Eurotrash as a derogatory term, whereas others see it as a humorous, ironic description of themselves or others. They have been discussed in various form, forums to clarify its intent, with the majority view that the original meaning was not intended to imply impoverished or trashy Europeans or be the European equivalent of white trash. Among the early printed uses of the term was in 1980 when a wealthy Greek living in New York named Taki Theodorakopoulos, something like that, wrote a newspaper column titled Eurotrash in the Eastside Express. And therefore, people got, got used to the term at that point. And the term was also used in the 90s. There was a, an American band named Cracker. Have you ever heard of them? Oh yeah, 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 I remember them. So they yep. they released a single called "Euro Trash Girl," about a you know the main character in the song has a, a dissolute life and drifting across Europe in pursuit of an angel in black, who he you know titled the uh, Euro Trash Girl. So basically, uh, uh, well, apparently Ellis's ploy, even though you and I think it's not not the proper way to do it, it still got him in the front door. You know, and then the next thing we know, where we get a shot of Hans and Carl talking, and and uh, Hans says, "If you'd listen to me, he would be neutralized already." And then uh, Carl says, "I don't want neutral, I want dead." Now I find it really funny, you know, the fact that that he's com he's changing the word neutralized to neutral, yeah, which is completely it it basically means that that he didn't understand. Right, because neutralize does mean take him out, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 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 that's a funny bit. Yeah, which uh, you think that's in the in the script? What do you think? I think that is in. The or do script. you think that's just a a, a flub on uh, uh, Goodenough's uh, part? I'll take it as I'm going to stick with my original and say it was um it was in the script. Yeah, sure. You don't want to change. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> And and then we 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 see um, Ellis enter the room, and he actually knocks on the door, which I find hilarious. You know, he's he's acting as if he's in the middle of a real meeting, right? You know, he, he just knocks on the door, and it it once again shows that he has absolutely no clue. He's without clue or clueless, however you want to say that, um, about who he's dealing with here. He thinks he's dealing with, with, with someone who is there to negotiate, which we'll talk about more next week, but apparently not, you know, and I love as he's talking, you know, we, then we have, um, you know, he, the, Ellis says, hope I'm not interrupting. And then Hans goes, what does he want? And he goes, it's not what I want. It's what I can give you. And at this point, it's an amazing uh, eye movement between Carl and, and Hans because Carl like motions that he wants to take out his gun and shoot him. And, you know, Hans just like uh, waves him off, you know, like, 
you know, like you see in baseball movies and stuff like that, you know, where the, the, the catcher says, you know, throw this type of pitch and the pitcher, you know, shakes his head and waves him off in a subtle, you know, in a subtle way. Right. It's so, the best part of this minute for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's very it's, subtle too. You can it's miss it. It's very it's subtle. easy to miss. Yeah. It's yeah. good though. Yeah. And then he goes, it's not what I want. It's what I can give you. Look, let's be straight. Okay. And people are going to have to come back on uh, Monday to, to hear the rest of that conversation because that is where this minute ends. Did you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the, to the script? No, I have nothing. All right. So the script has a few things. First of all, in the script, at it, this is the minute where it actually has the whole Gail Wallen's uh, uh, talk about uh, about Hans being possibly Hans Gruber, and it does. You know, they 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 did a great way of showing it to us beforehand, where it's next to the cameraman from Thornburg and stuff like that. But what they do here is is you know we see that that the it closes. There's a close up of of a TV. And then it, it turns on and then we have, you know, it, it like moves a little bit, like, you know, the screen rolls a little bit. And then we see Gail Wallens and she says of the Nakatomi building. Sources say that the terrorist leader Hans may be this man, Hans Gruber. A slide of Hans appears behind her. At the same time, the camera pulls back. We realize we're on the hostage floor and Hans has just turned on the set out here for his guests. He smiles modestly as they recognize him from the on-air shot and returns to his office, which is like really funny. They're, they're basically saying that he brings out a TV for the hostages to, to have something to do. And that he's happy that they can see that it's him on the TV screen. And then it continues with Gail and it says, a member of the radical West German Volksfrei movement. Strangely, the Volksfrei leadership issued a communique an hour ago stating that Gruber has been expelled from the organization and is operating on his own. And then we have Harvey, her co-anchor, who says, obviously, Gail, whatever his affiliation, it's safe to say that Gruber's terrorist actions in Los Angeles tonight are, well, terroristic. <laughs> Which they once again show how stupid it is. And then it says, as the bullshit continues, Ellis suddenly stands, heads towards the terrorist office. Immediately, the chief guard, Fritz, moves to intercept Ellis. Holly says, where are you going? I'm tired of sitting here waiting to see who gets us killed first. Them or your husband? And to the approaching fr Fritz. Hi there. Holly, what are you going to do? Hey, I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I can handle these clowns. To Fritz. I want to talk to Hans. Hans. Sprechen's he talk? He doesn't wait for an answer. Fritz follows him. Holly worries. So in the script, even though we know that, that Ellis is completely coked out, they still give him a lot of dominance, the way that he's taking taking control of everything here. You know, he's not waiting for the terrorists to take him. He wants them to follow him. Yeah. yeah. I like the way it played out better on. No, on, I do too. No, no, uh, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But I'm saying I like the way that they, they add that here. It could be something that they filmed and they cut because they yeah. didn't want to. And then we have the conversation between Carl and Hans, which you are correct. He just says, I don't want neutral. I want dead. It's in the script. <laughs> Ah, so I'm I'm right. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm betting five hundred right now. I'm one, you know, completely. One, one, there you one go. For one. one for two. <laughs> yeah, one, one for two, two is great. <laughs> Batting five hundred is much better than most people. <laughs> um, they both turn at the wrap of the door. Ellis is there. Hope I'm not interrupting. Hans to Fritz. 
What does he want? Fritz shrugs. It's not what I want. It's what I can give you. Look, let's be straight, okay? Now, it cuts out the whole thing with the with the nod and with the gun and all that stuff, which which works so much better visually Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than the way that they do it here. It's a good moment. I mean, it's really easy to miss, you know, when you're watching it. You know, but uh, but but it's definitely worth paying attention to because it, it's a fun little thing. Like, yeah, they don't even want to hear him. And Han's like, all right, I'll just listen to him, see what he's got to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's see. We, we can always kill him later. Right. You know, that type of thing. All right. You have anything else you want to say about uh, about this minute or about the movie in general? No, no. I mean, just Die Hard is one of my favorite, you know, movies. It's one I can revisit often. Um and so, yeah, I appreciate you having me on uh, to talk about it and, and some and some good solid. This is a good solid week. So uh, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. I, I always have fun talking to you, even if we're just talking over credits. But, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Why not? This is, you know, if we, if we have what to say, then it's always it's that, as long as the conversation flows that that works. And I like that. So every Friday I have a segment called Weekend Surprise where I pose a question to my guest, which sometimes they know beforehand what the question is going to be, and sometimes they don't. Uh, and I mean, one of the most controversial things about Die Hard over all the years is whether Die Hard is considered a Christmas movie or not. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, you know, detail your work. I, I knew that was going to be the surprise pop quiz. I just had to feel. <laughs> um, I, I pop actually... quiz, hot shot. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, you know what's funny? Right before uh, we started recording, I actually had this conversation with my wife. We were um, I told her, I said, I bet you that's what the that that's what Friday's question is going to be. Right. And my opinion is it is her opinion is it is not. Um, she sees why some of the Christmas themes are there, but she ultimately it is not is in her opinion it is not. But. You didn't ask her. You asked me. <laughs> well, and, she, she can you, you can call her over and uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll hear <laughs> well, what she has to say. She can show her work and we can have a little debate. You know, uh, um, yeah. Well, well. Uh, basically, I I say it is because of all the themes that are in like I like like the argument I used with her. You know, was you know it's about a it's in a strange family in in a different town and they get you know they they come together at christmas time it's christmas that brought them together and and they learn the true value of love and forgiveness and and all that and at the very end you know everybody you now spoilers they're they're going to go home as a married couple and they're going to go see their family and it starts snowing like the magical time i had i when i mentioned <laughs> you know with my family and um you know, let it. Uh, the weather outside is frightful. Is you know, is 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 playing, and um, you know, it's it's, you know, it's it's Christmas. They're gonna go home and have Christmas together. And uh, Christmas is is throughout. You know, you get um, you know, you get multiple Christmas songs. You get uh, Ode, you know, Joyful, Joyful. Um, oh, joy, oh, joy, and I that that gets sung at church, you know, at Christmas time. So that's you know that counts as a as a Christmas tune. It gets uh, sung at, at Christmas time because of Die Hard, or no? I think it's just a, oh. it's it's one of those. <laughs> maybe maybe they're like, let's get the kids in for them like the movies. Um, no, but uh, uh, you know, there's there's Christmas trees. They're at a Christmas party. Like everything is Christmas. Ho ho ho! Now I have a machine gun. Um, 
you know, here's uh, at the, you know, again, spoiler, you know, like they use the pack, you know, the, the, the wrapping, the gift wrap and, and, and uh, the tape and all that in order to, you know, facilitate the, the final confrontation. So it's all there. Um, so I, I do think Christmas is a huge part of Die Hard. So it is a Christmas movie. And again, it's a nice feel good ending about a family reuniting. Uh, I would say on the flip side, to actually prove my argument a little bit more, and, and this is something I mentioned to my wife, Die Hard 2 also takes place at Christmas time. But unlike Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2 is more of a, this is just the backdrop to explain why the airport's so busy. Right, right. and why they're in Washington. Yeah. Other than that, and that maybe why it's snowing and the weather's terrible. Other than that, there is no real I'll be Christmas damned if I'm going to clean this up. Yeah. Heck, even... The, the, his wife's name is Holly, you know, like, so, I mean, there are Christmas themes throughout that first one. So yeah, I do definitely think, uh, Die Hard is a legitimate, uh, Christmas movie, especially a Christmas movie for guys that like movies. Fair enough. And uh, what was your wife's argument as to why it's not? Uh, I mean, she gets some of the themes that it takes place at Christmas, but she's usually, and it, and she even talked about, you know, agree with me about some of the things about as far as, you know, being separated, you know, and find and it's got a happy ending, but typically it's usually like somebody's like an overworked person and they have to find joy at Christmas time or they, they stop believing since they were a kid. And then at the end, it's like a magical, like they have a realization or even if it's like two estranged couples who, or, or, or long lost loves or something where they find love at Christmas because of opening up their heart and all that good stuff. Like that's, that's kind of more, you know, like what she sees as like a Hallmark movie or, or something like that. Uh, and again, like even even like Scrooge or or, you know, um, you know, where it's like you got to learn the meaning of Christmas. That's all valid. And that's kind of the way she sees it. Like nobody's learning the meaning of Christmas at the end of Die Hard. But she does recognize that, yes, they have a nice family ending where they drive off together when it snows. But when, when I said, like, yeah, they're playing Christmas music, it's snowing. She kind of just looked at me like. It's a little bit of a stretch in her mind. So, um, okay. you know, Fair. but it doesn't mean we don't watch it around Christmas sometimes because I think my son agrees with me. So, uh, you know, maybe it's a guy girl thing. I, I don't know. Um, but but in my opinion, it is a Christmas movie. And if you feel it's a Christmas movie, then have at it. That is your Christmas tradition. Enjoy it. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. All right. Cool. Very good. So would you like to for one final time? Uh, tell people how they can get in touch with uh, Brian Lockhart. Well, I mean, the main thing, you know, main place to find me is through my podcasts. And I um, I do Hamilton Shot by Shot with my daughter, where we review Hamilton one song at a time. Um, that is at Hamilton Shot by Shot on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do Marvel Events Timeline Podcast with uh, Travis Bowe, where we go through Marvel's history, uh, big events. That's at Marvel Events Pod. Um, that's on Facebook and Instagram as well. And I, it's, it's not currently active, but it's in the bag. I got a Marine Corps movie minute podcast. It's just out there in the world. If you want to find it, all these shows are available on podcatchers of your choice. All right. Excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for movie Rob minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter and you can find me directly on my website, movie Rob minute.com. So Brian, thank you very much. This was such a fun week. 
I'm so glad that uh, we were able to find some time to talk about uh, about Die Hard, one of both of our favorite movies. Oh yeah. Hopefully, you know, when when I do Die Hard too, even though it's less of a Christmas movie for you, maybe you'll be interested in coming back. We'll see how that works out. I would love to. That's I got a lot to say about that movie. So I, I you do it, and uh, I'll be there. And and thank and thanks for having me this week, though. I, I had a great time. All right, I'm very glad. Thank you very much. So. Everyone, I'll be back on Monday with a new guest. But until then, yippee ki yay. yippee ki